this morning our, our hearts and our minds would be open uh, to receiving what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and that it would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And that is that you would bring us this joyful news that a king uh, was born in Bethlehem's manger, a king who didn't come as a political ruler with a political solution, but a king who came with uh, the solution, with the answer, uh, with the way, the truth, and the life that humanity has needed, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life, the joy of knowing that we have you today and forever. So, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would have humble hearts to receive you as our king in joy today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I welcome you here to uh, Maple Park Church. I'm Pastor Adam. It is a joy for me today to bring God's word to you. I believe that God does speak to us today. He speaks to us today through the pages of the Bible, through the pages of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation has been given to us God's word of promise. And that word of promise is of a Savior, a Savior named Jesus. And during this time of Christmas, we open the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So it's, it's Christmas time. How many of you are happy that it's Christmas time right now? How many of you are thinking, man, uh, it's a difficult time. I have a lot to do. There's a lot uh, to be accomplished. And some people really, they're, they're not looking forward to this season because maybe it brings, you know, pain into their life, uh, difficulties, bad memories. But during these four weeks leading up to Christmas Day, uh, we, we do anticipate not just the gifts, but the promise of Jesus who is for all people, even for those who may not be rejoicing this season. So this is the season of Christmas, and the church uses a weird word. We use the word Advent. And Advent simply means a time of preparation or a time of anticipation. I remember my love of Christmas and my anticipation for Christmas as a child. As a kid, I loved Christmas. I loved the lights, the tree, the candles, the songs. But most of all, I loved the presents. I anticipated that morning when I would finally be able to open all of the presents under the tree. And this is the truth. As a kid, I had, I had dreams about Santa Claus bringing me gifts. I had a dream that Santa and Mrs. Claus pulled into our driveway in a convertible Cadillac with presents heaped up in the back seat. This season, the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, and these days leading up to Christmas is a time of anticipation, anticipating Christmas Day. And here at Maple Park during these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're, we're ready to unwrap the gift already. We are ready to unwrap the gift of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we are going back to the Old Testament promises of Jesus to begin to unwrap this amazing gift 
to unwrap the gift of Jesus. Because when we go to the Old Testament, we find Jesus there. You would think that in in this season, if we wanted to unwrap the gift of Jesus, we would go to the New Testament. But we're actually going to the Old Testament because the Old Testament points us to the Savior Jesus who was to come. You see, those who trusted in God before the birth of Jesus Christ anticipated the coming of a messianic king. They longed for a king, the promised ruler who would reign from David's throne for eternity. See, at the time of Jesus' birth, an heir of David had not reigned in Jerusalem for hundreds of years. And even today, a descendant of the royal line of David has not sat on David's throne in Jerusalem since the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, breached the walls of Jerusalem in the year 586 B.C. So the people of Israel, during the time of Jesus, it had been hundreds of years since a Davidic king, a king from the royal line of David, had sat on the throne. And it wasn't until the year 1984 that the Jewish people did uh, have a secure hold on Palestine. And today God's chosen people hold the ancient land given to them by God, but they still don't have a descendant of David. They missed the Messiah. The king was born in Bethlehem's manger. That eternal king promised to the nation of Israel, and they missed it. And and many of, of the precious Jewish people today, they still miss They've missed their king. They didn't recognize that the king was born. You can read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. You can trace Jesus' lineage from Abraham. And last week we talked about the promise given to Abraham. To Abraham was given a promise that, that Abraham would have a family and his family would become a nation and that nation would be the blessing of all peoples on earth. So you can trace the genealogy of Matthew's gospel from Abraham who was promised that he would become a nation and that that nation would bless all people. And then you can trace it from Abraham all the way to to David. And David was given the promise of a dynasty and and a kingdom that would reign forever. And then you can trace the promise then to Jesus who is the rightful heir to David's throne. The promise we know was was actually first given to Adam and Eve. What does this all mean? Why, Why the genealogies? Why the concern for descendants within the Bible? Well, here's the answer. The answer is this. From the moment of humanity's fall into sin, creation and we ourselves have been broken. We are a broken people. 
All of creation is broken by the curse of sin. And when we look inside of ourselves, we know that we too are a broken people. That we have experienced the brokenness of sin in our lives. And we, we need a Messiah who will come and reign. Not as a political savior with a political answer. But who will reign as our spiritual Messiah. Who has a kingdom that is for today. And a kingdom that will last for eternity. A kingdom of peace and of joy in Him. So to our first parents, Adam and Eve, God gave a promise of a man who would be born of a woman. The man born of a woman would crush the head of the ancient serpent, the devil. And so Jesus was born to reverse the curse of sin. And then we, again, we already visited Genesis chapter 3. David preached that message beautifully. And then last week we learned about the promise given to Abraham. And today we turn to a man in the Bible, in the Old Testament, named David. The same promise given to Adam and Eve, given to Abraham, was also given to King David. So would you please stand as we turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Beginning with the first verse. So what we're studying here is the arc of Scripture. The narrative of Scripture, which is all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. After the king, that is King David, was settled in his place, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, we know the story of the Old Testament, that David was a man of war, that there were enemies in the land that needed to be driven out, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. Verse 2, he said to Nathan the, the prophet, he said, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. David was king, and the king of Tyre, King Hiram, had gifted David with a royal palace. King Hiram had sent to David all of the materials needed to build this beautiful palace. And David wasn't very comfortable sitting in his palace in this royal place of splendor while God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Presence of God was in an old tent. David didn't feel right about that. He sat in this beautiful house of cedar while God's house was a tent. So Nathan, verse 3, Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But verse 4, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David... This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house, me, a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. 
wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me, built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. So we know the story of David. He was a shepherd. God called a humble shepherd named David to be king. Verse 9. I have, the Lord said to David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And then he says this, now I will make your name great. Now remember, that's the same promise given to Abraham. I will make uh, Abraham's name great. Now he's giving it to David. Now I, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and, and no longer be disturbed. Remember, that's the same promise given to Abraham, the, 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 the promise of a land. And then wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And that's the same, really the same promise given to Abraham that those who curse Abraham will be cursed. It's the promise of protection of the people of Israel. He says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you. Now listen to this. In verse 11, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David wants to build a house for God. But God turns it around and he says, David, you're not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. And that word house is not a building. But a dynasty, a dynasty, generations of kings who will reign. Then verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, that is when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. That was fulfilled in the ascent to the throne of King Solomon. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And that refers to Solomon building the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon was given the task by God to build a temple for the Lord. And then he says this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. I will be his father and, I will be my, and he will be my son when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure for how long? Forever. And your throne will be established forever. Verse 17, Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. And here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I, I believe the, this prophecy given to David has a two-layered meaning. There's two layers of meaning here. 
The first, the first is this, that from David there would be a royal line of kings reigning in Jerusalem. And again, this was fulfilled when Solomon ascended to David's throne and continued for generations and generations for a very long time until King Zedekiah. And as Zedekiah was ruling, king, uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, breached the walls of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Since 586 B.C., there hasn't been a king, uh, a Davidic king, reigning in Jerusalem. Amazing, though, that in 1948, the nation of Israel once again took possession of the land. And they have a constitutional republic, much like we do, but they haven't had a, they haven't had a king on the throne for a very long time. There's another layer. So not only is there this promise of kings, and, and then we were wondering, well, the, the, the line of kings came to an end in 586 B.C. How can, the, how can God say then that this would be an eternal kingdom? Well, the, the second layer of this prophecy tells us that David's royal line would eventually culminate with the birth of the Messiah. Uh, this Messiah that was promised to all people who now reigns for eternity as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's two layers to this prophecy given by the Lord to Nathan the prophet and then given to David. This is why the promise was given of an eternal kingdom. And Jesus is that eternal king of David's royal line. And God God also knew due to disobedience, the disobedience of the kings of Israel, that eventually uh, the, the royal line reigning on a literal throne in Jerusalem would eventually come to an end. Those kings were wicked. They rebelled against the Lord. They led the people in idolatry. But they still looked and they still longed for that king who would reign for eternity. We need to understand and trust that that God's answer today for humanity doesn't come from political action. You see, many in Jesus' day, they were longing for this Messiah, but they thought that the Messiah would come as a political savior. And that the Messiah would lead a rebellion against the Romans. And because remember, during the birth of Jesus, Rome occupied Palestine. And uh, many of the people in Jerusalem were looking for a Jewish king, uh, a Messiah who would come and be a political savior. We need to understand that even today, humanity's problems... The problems that we face here and around the world, the answer is not ultimately found in politics. Because at the root of the problem that humanity faces today is is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And Jesus came to rule, not as a king, literally on a throne, but to rule our hearts and our minds. To be that spiritual savior who would save us from the curse of sin. And rule and reign over us for all of humanity. Jesus came not as a political savior, but as an eternal savior. Uh, He saves us from the brokenness that we experience today. And so we can look today um, in Luke chapter uh, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And we begin to understand as as we do go now to the gospels of why Jesus came and what his kingdom was about. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, and listen to this, Joseph, a descendant of who? David. We also learned that Mary was also in that same family, a distant cousin, a distant cousin of of Joseph, and she was also in the line of David too. So Joseph and Mary, there was royal blood coursing through their veins. Joseph was the rightful heir to the throne. The virgin name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And we know that that name Jesus literally means God saves. God saves. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him what? Will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants for how long? Forever. His kingdom will what? Never end. Then Matthew's account of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said what? Joseph, son of who? Son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Not a political savior. He is your savior today. He is your king who reigns over the curse of sin, death, hell, and the devil. He's your king. The guilt of sin no longer has hold over you. The power of sin no longer has hold over you. Because Jesus is reigning as your king. So Jesus didn't ascend to a throne in Jerusalem. Jesus ascended to the cross. And it was through the cross that Jesus provided salvation for humanity. He didn't go to a royal throne in royal majesty and splendor and comfort. Rather, he came as a king to suffer for you. Then he ascended from the grave. Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So from Jesus comes not political salvation, but salvation from sin, death, hell, and the power of the devil. So I ask you this question today, have you been brought in to this kingdom? Are you in this kingdom today? Are you a royal citizen of King Jesus? Have you received from Jesus the promise of the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of everlasting life? You see, this this talk of of a kingdom, an eternal kingdom and of eternal king, doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. 
This whole talk of, of, a, of a Messiah, of, of a royal line, of a spiritual king, a spiritual ruler, it isn't going to make very much sense to you until the lights have been turned on. Until you recognize your need for Jesus spiritually. And uh, we could go to Colossians chapter 1 today, beginning with the ninth verse, to shed more light on this. Colossians chapter, chapter 1, verse 9 says, For this reason, Paul writing, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And he, this is a long sentence. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people. Where? In the kingdom of light. And then verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion, from the rule, and the reign of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we can talk about two kingdoms this morning kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. In the movies, it's never good when somebody goes to the dark side. The dark side is, is a bad place. We want people to come into the light. And the truth of the matter is this, that apart from Jesus, there is no light. There is no light without Christ. But in Jesus, we're brought into this kingdom of light. We are rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus, he is the light of the world. Unspeakably brilliant light. But you're not going to get this until the Lord does this for you. And this isn't something that we can talk about purely in rational or philosophical or intellectual ways. Being brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is something that the Holy Spirit has to do for you. The lights have to come on for you by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. But for those of us who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, we understand. That for us, the lights have come on and we can finally see, we can see clearly uh, who, who God is and who Christ is and, and who we are and we can see our great need for this, this eternal reign of King Jesus in our hearts and our lives. But then I, then I ask the question, how? How is a person brought from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light? How is a person brought to Jesus? How does that happen? There's no better, better illustration of this than in the healing of a man named Blind Bartimaeus. In 
Mark's Gospel, the 10th chapter, the 46th verse. Then, there came to Jer- then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So here's this man who was blind, and he was forced to sit by the roadside, and there he was forced to beg. He was a beggar. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David. He understood that Jesus was Messiah, that Jesus is king. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Church, that is the key. The key isn't to make yourself more holy, to improve your life, to work your way into a higher stratosphere of holiness. It's to recognize that you're a beggar. To recognize that you are blind apart from Christ. And then to cry out to the Lord, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. There are many people in this world that society wants to shove to the side. You're not worthy. Stay on the side of the road. You don't belong here. You belong over there. But Jesus stopped. And he stops for you this morning. Jesus stopped. Here's the king. Descendant of David. The one who has the right to the throne in Jerusalem. Jesus stopped for a blind beggar. He said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Well, cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his his cloak aside. He just threw it aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. How does a person come into this kingdom from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? It's to recognize today that you're in the same condition as blind Bartimaeus. That you need the mercy of Jesus, of King Jesus today. Have you come to that point in your life where you recognize that you are nothing but a beggar? Even the wealthiest people, some of the wealthiest Christians, 
have come to that point where they realize, though they have all the wealth in the world, that in God's eyes, they're nothing but beggars. So it doesn't matter your your bank account today. All of us, equally, together, come to the cross on level ground. It's a level playing field. All of us come to Jesus with the sense that we need as beggars the mercy of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of thrones, chariots, and armies. Jesus' kingdom is about the least of these. Jesus' kingdom is about reaching those who are blind and want to see, reaching those who are sick and want to be healed, those who are tormented by guilt and want to be forgiven. Jesus' kingdom is about welcoming those society throws to the side of the road and forces to be beggars. This is the true gift of Christmas, the gift of a king who came not in splendor and majesty, but in humility for you. So I ask you today, where are you at in your walk with the Lord Jesus? You see, you you can't be in two kingdoms at once. You cannot be in the dominion of darkness and in the kingdom of light at the same time. You're either in one or the other. Uh, If if you're trying to walk the fence between the two, it's just not going to work. I ask you today, who's your king? I plead with you today, repent, turn. Turn to Christ. Look into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of forgiveness and of joy and of peace for eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we are just like blind Bartimaeus. We come before you with humility. We come before you knowing that we have nothing and that we are at, the, at your mercy. And so we do cry for that mercy today. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Forgive us of our sins. Turn the lights on once again for us that we might see you clearly, that we might see ourselves clearly, and that we might see everything clearly in light of who you are and what you've accomplished. You can only, you're the only one who can do this. It's only by your Holy Spirit. So we ask for your Spirit to come into this place now and to do this work. And all of God's children say, Amen.